This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. The South Carolina-raised Nashville-based artist Adia Victoria is now out with her third studio album. It's called A Southern Gothic. Adia Victoria joins me now to talk about the record. Hello. Howdy. So the first track on this album is called Magnolia Blues. I'm gonna clean my shirt under a magnolia, a magnolia, 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 magnolia. Talk about the significance of the magnolia tree. So I've been at home quarantined at my mother's house uh, with my little sister. And when I look outside of my window, The only thing that I can see is our massive magnolia tree. It's massive to the point that it obscures literally my view of the rest of the outside world. So I've been forced to just like stare at it. And I thought about, you know, my relationship with magnolias going back to my childhood in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I thought about, you know, when I was a little girl, underneath the magnolia was the meeting place for me and all these young girls uh, in my life, like my little sisters, Hope and Hanifa, and the little girls in the neighborhood, we would meet underneath magnolias to just, you know, engage in this kind of aggressive imagining, aggressive world building. And I think it was because that was the only place where we were free from a lot of the constrictions of the expectations that are placed on young girls in the South. And we were just able to open up entire worlds, just, you know, use our own minds to to transcend reality. But I also thought of the flip side of that, of the way the Magnolia has stood as an emblem of um, Southern myth-making, whitewashing of uh, white supremacy. You know, you think of moonlight, magnolias, mint juleps, um, the way that the Magnolia has stood as a, an image of uh, romanticizing the Southern past. And so I wanted with Magnolia Blues to reclaim the Magnolia as a site for black girl uh, radical imagining, um, to make it a sacred spot for my imagination of safe space. And I wanted to unburden its limbs from uh, a lot of the the work that, that it has had to do to whitewash the troubled history of the South. You led me off my land You led me far from home I tried to be the kind of girl Who never needed I gave you all my light And I got night to show for it I'm going back so Then I care a lot I'm gonna plant myself Under a magnolia that was just a clip of uh, the song Magnolia Blues by Adia Victoria. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you're kind of reclaiming the Magnolia. You know, this, as you, you know, it can be a symbol of whitewashed history. Um, and you seem to also reclaim your history in the song Deepwater Blues. Um, there are a few lines that stuck out to me in that song, which were, Now it's been too many times I've been put in a place to have to wipe up a mess a white man made, like our grandmama did and her mama did too. Now it's been too many times I've been put in a place to have to wipe up a mess a white man made like my grandmama did and her mama did too so I'll be awful glad to get a clean view Tell me more about the song Deepwater Blues. Deepwater Blues was a song that I wrote last summer. Um, it was around the time of the Democratic National Convention when Michelle Obama spoke, you know, imploring people to vote, like she was trying to make bare 
how serious it was to vote. And I remember getting a line and seeing a lot of the blue check mark liberals, white progressives saying things like, Michelle Obama's going to save America. Black women are going to save this country. And, you know, and also with Stacey Abrams, a lot of the work, the brilliant work that she did down in Georgia organizing that led to the Senate being turned blue. Like a lot of people were saying things like, we need to clone Stacey Abrams, da, 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 da. And I just thought to myself, the way that you think that you're praising us is actually you signing us up for more labor to clean up mess that white folks have made of this country and that they refuse to clean up because they refuse to acknowledge its, its existence. So you're asking us to basically come in, strap on our apron and get busy working. And at the same time, I was reading this book uh, called It Deepens As It Comes, and it's about um, the catastrophic Mississippi flood of 1927 uh, that flooded basically the entire Gulf Coast. And I thought about what a Black woman's experience would have been in that and what it would have been like if she had found a little piece of furniture that she was able to float and survive on and people asking her to come and, and rescue them. Like, let me get on board. You know, let me float with you. But if I pick you up, then we both sink and I die. And I thought about the roles that Black women have been asked to play in this country of of being the literal and symbolic mammy to white America, to always be the ever available bosom to welcome white white folks into and say, everything's going to be all right, sugar. It's all right. Like, we going we to make it. You going to be okay. You know, going back to you know, gone with the wind and and, and mammy and, and, and that role. And, it, and it's like, I don't want to do that. What if the reason why Stacey Abrams is organizing so hard is for her own self-interest because she's trying to survive the mess that white folks have made of this country? What if she is trying to survive uh, in a way that is totally self-interested? And what do we call that? How do we deal with black women that say, I'm not here to wipe up your mess. I'm here to survive. I'm not placing you before my life. I'm trying to live my life in spite of you. I'm trying to get by the way that everyone else is trying to get by, and you are not going to use me as your mule. So, you know, at the same time, Deepwater Blues is a a radical song of of self-ownership and self-survival, but it's also a song that's rooted in deep joy of just, I'm going to float down this river. You can find a way to float or you can drown. That's not my business. Good luck. I'll say a prayer for you. <laughs> they say a black woman got steel for a spine. She'll carry your weight. She'll carry it fine. She'll think of you for She'll think of herself. She don't mind her being on the mind of nobody else. But you know, you've talked a lot on KEXP before about your deep connection to the South and how it shows up in your music. Yes. But I understand for this album, it took you being away from the South to start this album. You were actually in Paris when you started writing this record. What did being away from home help you process about home? You know, Paris for me has always been, since I was 18, it's been a place where I've been able to go and open up a little bit of distance between myself and my home. And when I'm there, you know, I'm I am passively fluent in French. I, I'm I'm just fine conversing, getting by and whatnot, and expressing myself. But it's not my mother tongue, so I have to become a more present, intentional communicator when I'm in Paris. I have to be a lot more economic with my words. I'm not able to go on autopilot, and and to do that, you have to make yourself uncomfortable, lean into that discomfort, and also listen at a deeper level, not just to the people around you, but also to yourself. You have to notice your relationship with words on a more conscious level. So that 
finds its way into the writing that I do while I'm in Paris because my brain is just being challenged in ways that it's not when I'm at home in the South. But when I do go there, I'm always carrying along with me books about the South that I'm able to keep an eye on it, but at a, at a distance. And then also Paris is a place that's notorious for its walking and it's your ability to just ponder and, and be alone. It's the best city to be alone in and just notice the world around you and how you go through it and how the world goes through you. So for me, this has always been the perfect storm of, of, of creating. It's like my recipe for being able to create that, that isolation, but also that deep engagement with the world around me. It's this perfect equilibrium that lends itself to art pouring out of me. So I understand that you also listen to old field recordings, like recorded by ethnomusicologists that were recorded back in the South many, many years ago as part of inspiration for this record. Talk about how listening to those recordings informed this record. And I'm also curious, too, if any of the recordings ended up in this record. Yeah, so field recordings... um they found their way into my life back when I was 16. I, I studied contemporary dance and I learned the piece um, by Donald McHale, Rainbow Etude, which is literally the, the choreographing two field recordings of men who are missing their, their mothers, their loved ones. And so I was introduced to the field recordings as a bodily expression of learning how to make manifest these stories in my very corporal being. So that's where they that's where they live in me. And when I was listening to them making this record, I wanted to have that same bodily connection to these songs, to these rhythms, to the South, the land, the dirt, because these recordings, you know, obviously they are the men, the labor convicts who are forced at gunpoint to work, but it's also their interaction with the South and, and the way that they are working the South and, and staying in relationship with one another you know, these rhythms that they had to build, because if they got off rhythm, they could very easily injure or kill the man working next to them if they swung the axe at the wrong time, if they struck the land at the wrong time. So being so far from Paris, I was listening to these recordings to kind of root myself, to kind of bridge the gap of this distance that I had opened up between the South and myself. And working with one of my my partners, Marcello Giuliani, we were able to find these rhythms with our body, create them with our body, create them with rice and jugs of beans and very much just rooting the songs in these these found rhythms. And and that for me was the template that I needed to then go and build and 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 bring in other elements of these songs. But I needed that dirt to be on them. Mm, do you have a is there a certain song that comes to mind where you really kind of utilize that technique within writing? A mean hearted woman. For sure, that was very much we were, that was born in Paris, written in Paris, and rooted very much in these Ellen Lomax recordings. And I didn't want to just lift the recordings and put them in the music. I felt that the challenge that was being presented to me was how do you manifest this art form that your ancestors left you, and how do you push it forward? How do you not just like ape it and lean on them to do the work? It's like how can you do this work that they have shown you? what can you do to recontextualize this? And I feel like that's a lot of what I do with the blues. It's like, I'm not here to just play Robert Johnson licks for licks, but I'm here to more so lean in his philosophy of the blues and uh, recontextualize it for my life in the modern self. He made me a me.
I'm speaking with Adia Victoria about her third studio album. It is called A Southern Gothic. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I was listening through some of the songs and there was a few that stuck out to me just from a storytelling perspective. One was uh, The Whole World Knows and Please Come Down. There's a peace that peers with pleasure that pairs with And in both of those, it seems like there's someone struggling with drug abuse or something. And and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but especially the whole world knows it tells such a vivid narrative. And I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that song and the inspiration behind it. On a Sunday afternoon, while her daddy shares that good news under the steeple, She's laid in his deville, watching her blood rise as it fills up the needle. Well, for me, one of the one of the main aspects of Southern culture that I wanted to investigate on this record is who is the reliable narrator? Because so much of your identity in the South is based upon the ways that others perceive you. You know, you go you go looking back at the the roots of like honor culture in the aristocratic class and so much of the identity of these people, these men, it had nothing to do with the way that you perceived yourself. It had to do with the way that other people experienced you. And so this put a lot of pressure on people to toe the line, to maintain an agreeable, moral, acceptable surface. And so these two songs, it was important for me to tell it from the perspective, not of the young girl that is going through it, but people that are noticing her the outer eye perceiving her. How do we sum up someone in the South of, of their belonging based on their outward appearance, based on their actions? How do we allow belonging or withhold belonging to the group? And so the whole world knows you have this girl who's the daughter of the preacher, who just by that fact, she has to maintain a even higher uh, level of, of belonging and, and, and correctness. But at the same time, on Sunday morning, while her father is preaching, she is in the car shooting up heroin. You know, mm-hmm. at 16, she shows up to her party, strung out, and takes a bite right out the cake without saying grace. And so she's just breaking the, the order. Took a bite right out the cake, didn't say one word of grace, the whole world knows. And then Please Come Down is kind of the final chapter of, of people observing her, of, you know, they've They've noticed her disappearing, disappearing, disappearing. Then here they're praying over her and they don't even know if she's still with them, if she's still in this earthly plane, what is going on beyond the surface. They're trying to figure out where is this girl? Where is she now? Is she still with us? You know, and just as much as you think that you know a person by the surface, there's still so much that's going on beneath the surface of those waters. Is she sleeping? We're in the spare Is she breathing? I can't tell She closed her eyes To the world She got loose and lost inside Within that world and then I heard those songs, and then I heard the song "My Oh My." Is that also a part of? Is that also telling the story of the same woman? Because it's talking about the death of a sister. Is is that also a part of the story that you're telling within this album? Yeah, I wanted to lean into the southern landscape of 
just the way that it is a scene of self-encounter for so many Southerners. And, you know, again, it is from the, it is from the second perspective. We're still not hearing from this girl, this ghostly presence. And even in her absence, you know, you have the narrator of the story. The girl is still present in the South all around, all around, you know, she's in the ground like the kudzu. She's related to as a presence in the coal mine. She's related to in the clouds. My oh my is kind of a meditation on the ways that we find ourselves in the natural South around us. And I think that that is more prevalent than any other way, any other place in the country, just the way that that relationship that Southerners have with the natural world beyond them, because the myth of, of Southern culture it didn't just implicate the people, it implicated the cotton and it implicated the, the natural resources and a lot of ways that, you know, black folks were, were dwindled down to a natural resource and the ways that identity is informed by, you know, the air, the heat, the humidity. So that song was like, how can I find, how can I speak to her absences and make her present in the Southern natural world? Under the clouds that found you Cutting through the ground I could too Sister, I can't see you no more I love the storytelling that you have on this record. I mean, it's almost like you know, you're you're writing you're writing poems, um, which I guess you could say that about any songwriter. But you know, it sounds like you are writing from understanding your history really well, but also being able to create these fictional characters um, within your songs. I mean, how much of your songs would you say are fictional versus you know just a reflection of of reality? I didn't want to write a song about my immediate literal um, mm-hmm. life on this record because I was in quarantine. I was like, I don't want to write a quarantine record. Like mm-hmm. I didn't feel that I was able to speak to that with any sense of clarity because I was still going through it. I was still trying to survive it. So I needed to step out of the, I needed to decenter myself in a way, but also, you know, I'd gone back and I was reading so many of my journals and, Uh, from my childhood. And I am present in this, but I wanted to filter those experiences, those emotions that I had growing up in South Carolina through another character. And that's what a Southern Gothic did for me. It it allowed me to have a little bit of space from my immediate life over the past year and investigate larger implications of, of my Southern evangelical upbringing through the people that knew me, through the people that experienced me. And I don't know, that was just, that was necessary. But I I am in this record, but you know, I never was the daughter of a preacher. I never shot up heroin. I never overdosed on pills, but there is so much, so much of my story there. I I think the last song, South for the Winter with Matt Berninger um, on that duet with me, that was autobiographical. That was my story in New York of being this underage kid, you know, just traipsing through, my own self-destruction, drunk, trying to find fun that feels good until it doesn't, of, of, of trying to annihilate myself and then coming to the sad truth of like, maybe it's time for me to go back home. Maybe mm. I don't want to die. Maybe I need to get back to where I belong. Walls and down fair with the fifth of gin Hid in the pocket of the jacket I'm in Slipping on ice as I drift downtown 
Cause that is the place all the lost girls are found. What do you feel like you've learned um, about yourself, the South, or just your history through writing this album? You know, I've learned that I, as much as I did not belong in the culture of, of the constructed culture of the South, that I was not alienated. I was at home in myself. I was experiencing the South in a way that was personal to me in spite of what I was told I should be experiencing. So I learned that I was not the one that was alienated. I learned that it was the people around me that had truly become alienated from themselves that had been fractured and split apart. And they were the ones that were truly lost. And I realized that I was right, that that little girl who had been gaslit into assuming the role of the black sheep, she was not lost. She was at home with herself. And it was only because the world had become so alienated that she seemed like as if she was the other. But I found that I was the center of my story. And I've learned that, you know, that alienation, it goes beyond the South. It it, it blooms beyond the South into the, the world at large, that we are so alienated, that we are so concerned with belonging. We are so concerned with others' approval. And once you give up your ability to experience the world in your in the way that only you can, that you become alien from yourself. Hmm. I've been speaking with Adia Victoria about her third album, A Southern Gothic. Thank you so much for your time today and, and for this wonderful conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much, Emily. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.